With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Love Is Podcast. I'm excited to welcome the host of the Love Is Podcast, Kim Sorrell. Kim, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guest today. I'm doing great, Neil. Thank you. And yes, I've been so excited for this interview. Jason Berkey has been in a bunch of things, but he started in junior high started acting and getting laughs way back then. And uh, he is a self-proclaimed wide-eyed optimist. And he also says that he is Prince Charming by day and a court jester by night. So he obviously has a sense of humor. So this is gonna be a lot of fun. And the thing I like best is he believes that every life is beautiful. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm excited for a couple things. We're going to talk today about your new movie, Divine Influencer, which is so good and so amazing, coming out September 15th. But I have a question for you first. Your your aunt works in the Dominican Republic, and you made the most beautiful video, mm. and I just loved it. And yeah. if you want to talk about that for a minute. Yeah, that was uh, back when, when we were promoting October Baby, um, which was one of the first movies I've ever done um and that was kind of a, a, a surprise hit in the box office and and so we were um we were kind of doing this little series of videos talking sharing a personal story about how we think every life is beautiful so I I spoke about that and uh, about my aunt's work in the Dominican Republic as a missionary down there and um yeah it was good it was a good meaningful uh, uh project that I worked on like this one. Mm-hmm. And that yeah, makes- well, and it's interesting because your part in this one is kind of, well, you're helping people, obviously, yeah. like your aunt in the Dominican Republic, yeah. like you did in the Dominican Republic. So it's kind of come around sort of full circle. Yeah. 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 All right, Jason. So kind of like that whole thing about helping when you get to help others, how does that make you feel Compared to, you know, when other people do something for you, how does it feel when you're giving more your emotion, how you feel as a person? Yeah, I, I know when other, when other people do stuff for me, I I feel so, uh, I feel guilty about it. My wife's like, you need to relax about that. Like people do stuff for other people because they want to. I'm like, are you sure? Okay, all right, yeah. So um, I I think that's, for me, I think for most of us, it's when you give of yourself, of your time, your resources in some way to someone else, um, you're kind of tied to a deeper meaning in life, right? You're like, oh, wow, this is something that I need to be doing more of um, because it makes you feel good, right? Like when you see uh the direct influence that you have on someone an impact that you have on someone. Um, and that's what this film is about. It's, it's discovering your true purpose. It's um, being humble. It's learning how to serve others and pulling the focus off of ourselves and onto others. Yeah. Which is so important. And I think service is so important and there's something really special about it. It's, it's like, you can't outgive right? Mm-hmm. Like you go to give, you're going to go, you're going to help, you're going to have an impact, you're going to do something. And mm-hmm. no matter what, no matter how hard you try, you get so much more out of it than mm-hmm. you can possibly put into it. Mm-hmm. It's just such an incredible feeling. And and as a father, you're a father. Yes. And yeah. uh, so wanting to get your kids involved too, I'm sure. And yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. That's something important that I want to teach them. And um something we pray about is like hey god give us opportunities where we can serve and where we can because i feel like it's a daily battle of like being so self-centered and focusing on my own needs making sure i'm good which like isn't necessarily a bad thing but you got to balance that out with looking at the needs around you as well 
uh, finding opportunities to to help others. Yeah, it's important. So I definitely want to pass that on to my kids. It's so important because if you can model that, other people will model that as well, and they'll do it. It's all about yeah. how we re- react around our kids, or 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 if we're teaching, if we're providing any service, if the way we become leaders is through our actions. It's not by saying, it's by acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, and, and so the part that you play in this, Ryan, you're yeah. running um, a homeless shelter mm-hmm. and taking care of a lot of people and a lot of things and, and a staff and uh, run into some issues with money which, you know, sometimes I think that people think that, well, there's so much need. Where do you help? There's so much you could do. What can you possibly do? But I always think if everybody did something that would help, right? And we all have homeless shelters in our in our cities, or for the most part, a lot of us do. And uh, it it is an important part of it, right? The, the, the funding. And so, but when Ryan goes through this time, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He, you know, finds out that, um, that the shelter, we're just not getting the donations that we need and, uh, closing down the shelter for Ryan is not an option. He's like, there, where are these people going to go? Like he's devoted his life to this. Um, so that's where Olivia kind of comes in and, and she uses her skills as like a social media influencer to, to throw this big fundraising gala. Um, and so Ryan's really kind of relying on her um, to help shake things up a bit and view things in a different way um, and, and do a, an event that will really draw people in and save the shelter. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, they kind of work together on that. Uh, but there's some there's some drama as well. There's some uh, some issues that they run into and um, things that Olivia accidentally does that kind of hurts the shelter. Um, so, yeah. What do you see, Jason? Let's ask you, what do you rank your social media? Like after this whole story about social media and virality to help that shelter what do you th- uh, how much time do you put in your social media especially the actors really got to put more and more time in because it's become such a big thing even for auditions now yeah uh well it's funny for me i quit social media cold turkey 10 years ago and i haven't been back on and um it started as like a week long like i'm just gonna test this out because i just found myself being too consumed with it and so i'm like i wonder what it would be like if I just like hit pause on it and a week went by and I loved it. And so I had to do a deep dive on how to permanently delete all my accounts, but I did. Um, And I just, now I can't imagine finding the time to get back on and do it. So I'm really kind of like, I feel like I'm in the stone age now. I'm like behind and I don't even know what social media looks like nowadays. Um, but I do know, I do know the effect that it was having on me, um, and the the kind of like persona I was wanting to present to the world, which felt fake to me, and so that was a big reason why I I quit it. And I don't think it's all bad. I think there's some great things about it, promotion and and all that. Um, but for me, it just uh, it's been uh, kind of a weight lifted and I just feel more present not being on it. Um, I do miss out on like I, friends have babies and I don't know about it. You know, I'm like, <laughs> what happened to just a phone call? And, you know, so that's part of what I hope this movie does for people after watching it is um, hopefully inspires them to, to connect with each other, find that human connection. Um, like we used to uh, before social media, uh, that kind of deeper, meaningful connection of actually talking with each other and not being distracted by devices. And um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's interesting that I, I did this film. And I'm like, I have been out of the game for a decade, <laughs> but um, yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's an interesting game. 
Yeah. Or is a new kind of celebrity, you know, these right. social media influencers and, and, uh, and then to fall from grace from the social media grace, like Olivia did, that's mm-hmm. gotta be kind of a hard fall, but mm-hmm. they do seem to come and go, or I don't know if they stay for years or, or how it's going to work. I guess time will tell, yeah. but, uh, yeah. it's a different way to fame. Um, somehow. Yeah. I don't even yeah. know. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. In the film, that's what Olivia's, that's her goal, right? Is to get as many followers and likes as she can. And, um, and so it it takes a, a, her losing everything and really having to humble herself to find God's purpose for her life and, and, um, kind of pull the focus off of herself and onto others. You definitely have to put a, uh, I guess, pat yourself on the back for the fact that you shut down social media where most actors have to do it to get certain parts. Your, your talent must be there, right? Like get the work, you know, it's still working as an actor without social media. That's why I was thinking you were going to say, oh, yeah, it is important. And then you told me you shut down. And it's definitely not the actor's playbook at all. Look, again, I think I think there are some good things about it. There's like for actors, you know, being able to promote what you're doing. Um, For me now, I have to promote by like writing a letter and sending it by carrier pigeon to people. (laughs) Um, But for me, yeah, I mean, I I don't know if there are jobs that I've missed out on because I don't have social media. I don't know about it. (laughs) Maybe it's happened. I just don't know about it. for me, though, quality of life is uh, is better not being on it. So, um, hasn't negatively affected me so far. So that's a good that's a good thing. So, what yeah. are your goal as an actor? What do you want to accomplish in your career moving forward? Um, you know, I I have like dream projects that I want to work on. Um, ultimately, the short answer is I just want to keep telling stories that impact people. I mean. Uh, you know, my like top movies that I've seen that have, I can still feel the emotion that I felt when I watched that movie. Like that's the kind of stuff I want to be doing. I want people to, to um, see the stories that hopefully I'm a part of that um, inspire them and impact them in some way, give them hope. Uh, Even if it's just a simple, like, pull them away from the stress of their life and their day and they get to escape into a story for a little bit. I mean, that's why I do it. I just really love the work. Um, I love storytelling. And so um, for me, my goal is to just do it as long as possible. Well, and you're good at it. So that that's nice. You're so good at it. I am glad to hear that carrier pigeons are still around. So thank you for that. I think, I assume someone. They must be, yes. How to use them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, so you are all about people. I mean, even something that you mentioned earlier about kind of putting the phone away and connecting, reconnecting. Hmm. And certainly the pandemic, we lost contact, but the social media is doing that to us too. Yeah. It's easy to just sit and look at reels or whatever it is you're looking at all day, Um, but the human connection. And so even in your storytelling, it's about the the human connection. Yeah. 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 I love that. that, That's what I love about, about the film industry too. It's, I mean, this is like one of the most, if not the most collaborative art forms. I mean, you have so many people on a crew with different skills and you're all coming together to kind of create this thing. And, and you have all this time. I mean, you're working at least 12 hours a day on, on a movie and you're working crazy hours and you really kind of build a family together while you, while you make these stories. And um, there's a ton of human connection (laughs) that happens on a set while you're kind of waiting around and you just get to know everyone that's what I really love about it is the collaboration of it. Um, and it's always a bit uh, bittersweet when a project ends too, because you grow so close with these people and you really get to know them and kind of get deep with them. And then it's like, all right, well, bye. <laughs> Hopefully I'll see you on another one. But if not, this was a really intense, amazing experience. <laughs> um, so that's why I love doing what I do as well. 
So Jason, again, it'll be available on PureFlix. What's the date for the release? Yeah, September 15th. Yeah, streaming on PureFlix. Yeah. But okay. the trailer's out now if people want to take a look at that. Yeah. All right, fantastic. Do you have any other questions, Kim, for Jason? Um, I have a million questions for Jason. I could talk to you all day, Jason. <laughs> you're you're one of a kind. Uh, so what is it that you want people, the big thing you want people to get out of the movie? Yeah, I, I mean, again, if this movie will will inspire people to uh set down their devices and and um be more present i i think that would be a great thing um also uh just the movie's about kind of discovering your purpose which i think we're we're gonna constantly discover our purpose and until we're no longer on this earth i think it's just that's a constant thing that shifts and molds as you get older um but i think being open to what that purpose might be and i think setting your devices down and spending more time in stillness and in quiet and in meaningful conversation i think that kind of reveals um what you should be doing in your life um or at least inspires you in a certain direction um so yeah hopefully it, the film does all those things and and simply entertains and tells a good story that's our goal and what's interesting jason is you live what the movie's lesson was that's good right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i guess so yeah so, yeah putting it all down i know yeah, that's so funny. That's yeah. so funny. Neil asked you how many followers you have, and you're the opposite. And zero. That's the movie, Neil. Good point. That is so yeah. funny. Yeah, it's completely. He's it's the polar op. It's exactly. He's the poster child for this movie, right? Right. Uh, right. It's kind of uh, yeah, kind of ironic that I was doing this film. I'm like, yeah. They must have looked at that when you auditioned. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe helped me in that way. All right. So we're not going to say, where can we follow you? Just check you out in IMBD. That's the best Find place. Me. Yeah. You know, I got a website and, uh, okay. you know, uh, yeah, IMDB. And uh, I don't know if you run into me on the street, say hello. Oh, we're, we're running into the streets for sure, Jason. We appreciate it, sir. Take care. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. That was a special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and the Love is Podcast, guys. Take care. Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Welcome to the Women in CEO and Reflection podcast. I'm your guest host, Rachel Lavin. I am the author of The Donut Diaries. Tonight, I have Christine Swan. She is an internationally renowned, I'm going to mess it up, but I just heard the word, pastelist. <laughs> you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, Christine has been designated an eminent pastelist by the International Association of Pastel Societies. There are only 25 artists in this medium in the world. And she is known for her personality portraits. She started out as an illustrator and is now an award-winning artist on the international level, including winning the IAPS Best of Show pre de Pastel Master's Circle Exhibition Award in 2020 and in 2015. I feel like I could go on and talk about you forever, but that's your job. So why don't you tell the audience a little more about you, Christine? Sure, sure. Oh, thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so I'm kind of a, I guess a dusty girl, if you want to say. I work in pastel. And so if you're not familiar with what pastel is, it's basically the same pigments um, as oil paint or watercolor paint. It's just the dry form of it. So a lot of people like to call it chalk. So you think of them as being the little dry sticks kind of thing. But really, chalk is actually a, a totally different um, construct that's made of different stuff than pastel. Pastel is actually pure pigment, just like what you would use in oil paint or in watercolor paint. It just has different binders to it to keep it dry. So it's actually a very drawing medium. 
And I started as a graphic designer, like you said, an illustrator over 30 years ago. And I kind of moved into doing commission portrait work when my kids were really little and I couldn't run around and do graphic design work as, as easily when you have a little baby in tow. <laughs> so I started playing with pastels again, really love them. And the love has just stuck all these years. And I bounce into oil. I also do oil painting and some other things too. But for some reason, the pastel has just been my go-to medium. And I just love the layerability of it. I've been doing commission portrait work now for over 25 years. Um, professionally, that's what I do. I also teach. I teach um, classes on the structure of the head, on how to handle pastel. I travel around the country teaching to groups, and uh, I just love it. And I love sharing that love of that medium with other artists that maybe are new to it. So it's a lot of fun. Well, I see your work behind you, and I've been <laughs> privy enough to see your work in person, and it's just breathtaking. Okay. I want to ask you, I know that you have, like you said, you've been in pastel, but you took yeah. something so interesting. And I want you to talk about that a little bit about your, the artwork that you've done with the gold. And I want you just to talk yeah. about first, I want you to talk about why you started that and then maybe yeah. give people a little information about what kind what that art means. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, so two years ago, I um, obviously, well, three years ago, obviously 2020 affected all of us with COVID. And I have three children. They all came home from college and, and everywhere. And I realized, oh, I have three models on my hands. So this is awesome. And at the time, I was reading a book about Kintsuki, which is the Japanese philosophy of, and, and you've probably seen it online, where it's a vase or a teacup. It started in the 14th century with the emperor of Japan, where he had his favorite teacup. He broke it, and his artisans fixed it by re-gluing it and putting gold in the cracks. And so it's this actual philosophy that's actually a big part of their culture, which is that when someone goes through something, when something breaks, they're more valuable and more beautiful for having gone through that process of breaking and then repairing. And so they really do believe that about people too, that when someone goes through something, a trauma, um, any kind of health scare, something like that, and you heal from it, you're actually stronger on the other side of it. So of course, you know, everything shut down 2020. And I thought, okay, I'm going to switch mediums a little bit. And I started picking up oil painting again. And so what I actually did was I did a series of 12 paintings that were all in oil. And each one of them is based on the idea of Kintsuki that there are so many things in all of us that break and that we have to heal from. And so each of the paintings, unfortunately, I don't have one of those behind me here, but each of those paintings represents something that break in a human being. So your sense of hope, faith, peace, love, um, your sense of innocence, your spirituality, your physical body. So each of those 12 represented very specific human elements. And so I did them on wooden panels, knowing that I wanted to cut them up. So if, when you see the paintings online or you see them in person, um, take a good close look at them because I actually put them on wood panels and I took a saber saw to them and I cut them up in very specific ways, like you would think of as hope or like love. I have the love panel, which is my daughter who's married now. And I cut her, her panel you know, off the corners all the way around because sometimes love goes bad around the corners where you don't see it right away. You know, So each one of them is cut very deliberately. The spirituality panel is cut right through the heart. Um, innocence, I have a young child that's it's shattered, almost like she shattered and it like a rock just misses her and it goes right through her face. And so I cut them all up, reassembled them, re-glued them, and then 24 karat gold leafed each one of them. So they are an assemblage put back together again of, an, of oil paintings that are been, you know, dissected and put back together again. And it helps the work. They, they're definitely more powerful for having been cut up. And a lot of people have said to me, well, how did you, you know, spend months, you know, doing this fine portraiture and oils and doing all these layers. And then you just take a saw to it. And I said, it was awesome. So <laughs> it was very exhilarating. It was very, very fun to do. And um, I really, really had a lot of success with that series. And it's been really fun. And I'm starting to add to that series again now. So, yeah. yeah they how much, are... <laughs> I'm just shocked yeah. at Christine, about how long does it take to do something like this? Yeah, it took over two years amazing. to do that. I mean, I mean, look, I'm looking at all the pictures, the paintings, yeah. and it's like your talent. <laughs> so, like, did you always have that patience to take that much time for a work of art? <laughs> it's it's um, definitely a work of art. You know what? I'm just like a pit bull. I say I can't cook, I can't sew, I can't bake, but I can paint. So, you know, I get up in the morning <laughs> thinking about painting. I go to bed at night thinking about painting. It's just, it's so ingrained in me. It's not even work. It's just like who I am. It's so much ingrained in my life that I, when I say I'm going to work, I'm really not going to work. I'm just going to go create, you know, like I, I'm a creator or more than anything else. And so, yeah, to be able to take, you know, a couple years and dedicate it to a series of paintings. And I was doing commission work at the time as well. And, you know, there's always pieces that you do that fail and then you throw them in a corner. So yeah, I, I spend a lot of time on things like that. <laughs> 
I wanted to ask you, and this is taking us back a little bit, but yeah. what kind of art were you exposed to? And at what age did you realize that this was something that you wanted to do? Yeah, um, believe it or not, my earliest memory, and my mother swears I wasn't even three years old, was of drawing smiley faces. And you know, like little kids have the, you know, like a marker in your fist and you do an eye and an eye, and then you put the nose right between the eyes and do a little smiley face kind of thing. So it's gotta be around that two year, 18 month range. And I remember I had a white binder and I remember doing that with my fist, you know? And I remember my mom looking at me and saying, well, when you draw, you draw what you see. Look, my nose is below the level of my eyes. And I, I that was my earliest memory. Something in my brain clicked, like you draw what you see. And after that, it was like, I'm t- and I was obsessed with faces. I was in second or third grade and I was drawing my dog. I was drawing my friends. I was drawing, like, it was just so ingrained. I, I can't even imagine doing anything else. And even now I feel like people setting one person away from another or one child. I do a lot of commission portraits of children and, and finding the distinctions between what makes one child very distinct from another is like, I'll spend hours going after that. You know, I'll paint a tree and eh, it's a tree, but like little kids, you know, give me a little kid's nose anytime. And I'm there. I'm, I'm all about it. So, <laughs> so yeah. Well, it, go ahead. No, and I was going to say later on, I worked in, I uh, went to college for graphic design and illustration. I was an illustrator for years and then had my own freelance business. I was doing a lot of freelance work. And it wasn't until I had my first daughter that I realized I, I just I miss painting. I just need to go back to painting. And I just, just stayed there ever since. So. so when you had that realization that <clears throat> not only were you wanting to go back to something that was special and important to you, yeah. but how did you realize that you were going to create a business out of that and support yourself? Yeah, I mean, when I'm right out of college, obviously, um, that's nearly impossible to do. And so I was working <laughs> in an advertising agency, actually, for a while. And it got to be the point where what I was making freelancing was more than what I was making at my full time job. And so once that shifted then it was kind of like I was all in. And, and there were years, obviously, when I had, th- you know, I had three children and I was married and I had all these different things going on in my life that that ebbed and waned, you know, where I was, you know, some months you fe- it's feast or famine, right? Some months you're very busy, some months everybody's sick. And, you know, I, I say it's I switch between like work mode and mommy mode all the time when my children were a lot younger. And so I don't know, it, it just was this thing where I was always coming up with work or, or painting somebody and it, it just, my life was my business. And so it just kept growing until finally I realized I don't need to work for anyone else anymore. I can do this and just keep raising my prices as I get right. better and better. And as I learn, you know, cause you, we're always learning. And so, you know, what I'm doing five years from now is hopefully better than what I'm doing now. And I look back at things I did five years ago and um, it's weaker, you know, you grow as an artist and you just, you just keep at it. And as long as you keep at it, you will advance. It's just this magical thing. It's yeah. I just, wow. have to it. you know, I think yeah. about how you're ranked one of the best. Is that <laughs> really impressive? I mean, how did like, did you think that that, that really helps your pricing, right? <laughs> it does help. <laughs> it does. Yeah. So yeah, the ranking for that is definitely in the pastel medium. So now I, I'm going after that in the oil. So, you know, there's different designations of masters and, you know, for different mediums and stuff like that, but there's something about the love has to come first. Like I love the medium so much and that somehow translates into the work and then people can see that in the work and then it does its own thing. I, I think a lot of people think, oh, I have to paint this for this show so I can win this. And, and it's, it has to be backwards. You have to love it first before you share it. Like you have to be so passionate about something before you even think of entering in a show or doing something like that. And then it'll take on a life of its own. You don't have to worry about it. And I found that to be true. I have to go after what I love about a piece first or the story of it, just like with the Kintsuki series. And then, and then they'll affect people that way. You can't just say, I'm going to be in this show and plan something for it. It just never works. Well, I met you because (laughs) you moved to Greenville and I moved to Greenville and we um, connected because we live in the same building, but you actually have an art studio where we live. So let's talk about that a little bit. Well, first of all, I want to talk about why did you move to Greenville and then talk about how did you get the studio here? Absolutely. So I moved to Greenville last fall from Pittsburgh. Um, I guess you could say I was getting tired of the weather and just needed a change. And and there was a, it was funny. I had a list of things that I wanted more in the mountains, near the beach, better weather. And I wanted more of an artist community. And that was really, really important to me, more of a walkable city, a smaller city than Pittsburgh, but a very culturally rich, a lot of artists, a a bigger community. And I have to say, I did find that here. I I looked all over the country, actually, when I decided to move. And there were all different places I was looking at, Santa Fe and Charleston and different places. 
And I landed on Greenville because it was that sweet spot. It was kind of right in the middle, not too big, not too small, but it had a lot of culture. And you could see the rich artist culture here. I mean, there's a lot of artists here doing various different things, which is wonderful. And so for me, it was almost like it just in one weekend, I just kept looking for things. You know, I had this list and uh, Greenville kept coming up and I said, all right, I'm going to Greenville. So I'd never been here before. Actually, I have to admit, I didn't know anyone here. Um, I just picked up and moved lock, stock and barrel. And I'm actually coming to you live right now from the Greenville Center for Creative Arts, which is actually right next door to where we live in this wonderful cotton mill. So that's how Rachel and I know each other. And um, it was just serendipitous. I didn't realize when I moved into my apartment that the art center was right next door. So I got on their studio space and I just got this studio space a couple uh, months ago. And was, it's like my happy little second home here. It's wonderful. And the Art Center, if you're not familiar, is please look up Greenville Center for Creative Arts. They have a wonderful space here. I've been teaching um, and running some figure drawing sessions on Thursday nights from six to eight. Everyone's welcome to that. Just bring $10. We have live model and I give a lesson every night and we just draw for two hours. And it's really a wonderful camaraderie with a lot of artists show, showing up. So we're doing that. I have been teaching here just once a week just to kind of keep my hand in it, let people know that I'm here. But mostly I'm up on the second floor working, doing new career, uh, commissions. I also try travel and teach. So I'll be back and forth a little bit, but the art center here is actually wonderful. So if you're in Greenville or anywhere near Greenville and you're not familiar with the art center, please come down. They have some really amazing exhibitions. And um, yeah, I think you'd be surprised at how amazing this little space is. It's really great. And there's, I think about 16 art working studio artists here, um, professional to right out of college. We're all at different levels and it's really is a very supportive community. So it's really, really nice. I'm so happy for you. Yeah. And so you're still tra uh, traveling and doing shows and exhibits, yeah. right? Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll be in Texas a couple times this fall with different organizations that have asked me to come and teach where I do more intensive workshops for three or four days. I'll be in Santa Fe next summer. You know, I bounce around um, now that everything's, you know, not so locked up. I'm getting back to traveling and being able to go and teach really work with the models, teach in a new area, and then come home. I like doing that kind of burst of teaching rather than day in, day out, because I still like doing my own artwork. But when I can get away for a weekend and go see a new city somewhere, Houston or Santa Fe, somewhere like that, and just have a weekend where just intense learning goes on with people that are really hungry to learn about the portrait and about the figure, um, I'm all in. It's really fun. So, yeah. That is amazing. How, if you, do you mentor young uh, artists? Um, not so much young artists, but I do have a men mentorship program where I'll take on an artist for a few months, um, you know, flat fee, and they have access to me for a month. Typically, we kind of work on one thing. So say like somebody wants to work on their sense of color. So I'll send them a lesson on Chroma, give them some assignments, work on something. I have had some artists that uh, really you know, are just getting into the commissions, you know, and they're a little nervous. So they just want some hand holding, and I'll take a look at what they're doing and help them out. The thing that I can't do with mentorship, if someone is doing something for a show and I help them out or give them advice, now all of a sudden that piece now becomes a collaboration. So it's ineligible for um, any kind of jury exhibition because now it's no longer that artist piece. I'm helping them. So it becomes something different. But if it's a commission piece or, piece, or they're just trying to learn, I can definitely help people out with that. And I've done that a lot over the last few years. So um, yeah, I'm really good at being honest with my students and telling them like it is, but they seem to like it. So. <laughs> Have you ever had to tell anyone they needed to get a new career? <laughs> no, no, I think oh, we can always improve. We can always, yeah, it's not like golf where you, you know, or, or a sport where you break your knee or something and, and then you're done. No, painting, you can always progress. You can always progress. You can change things around or, you know, move to different mediums or something, but you can always progress in being an artist. Absolutely. <laughs> that is good. I just wanted to ask you one more thing. You touched on it a little bit, but how does it feel like personally to have like all these accolades and all these awards? I mean, you're a pretty big deal, ladies. So I mean, <laughs> how, how does that make you feel? You know, it, it, it's funny. I, I don't think people know me or know my work. I feel like that is what happened for so long. And one time I was on an airplane going to the pastel convention in Santa Fe. They have this big con convention every two years and people got on the plane and they saw me carry around this big wooden pastel box. And they were like, oh, who are you? You know, cause they were trying to figure out who was on the plane and who was on the and I told them my name and they, and they literally freaked out. Like I had my 15 minutes of fame on the plane where people were freaking out that, oh, Christine Salon's on my plane. Like, and I was like, really? Like they, they know what I do. They know my work. And it, it kind of takes me by surprise because artists are so solitary, right? I mean, we work by ourselves. We show by ourselves typically. And then when we get out in the public and someone like recognizes a painting of my son or something, I'm actually quite surprised. So it, it kind of takes me aback still even now, which I guess is a good thing because I feel like 
I think all artists suffer from this. We're never good enough. So we're always going after the next painting. We're always trying to improve. So I think it's a good thing not to think about all that too much. Um, obviously I have goals and I'm, you know, ambitious like any other artist that really wants to succeed, but it, it, I don't really think of that too much. And actually I've won awards and things. And I, I know other artists that used to put, you know, the awards on their walls and things like that. I have a box and I've thrown them all in a box. So I have a big box in storage full of ribbons and awards and certificates. And I know they're there and they're precious to me, but I don't feel like I need to see them or show them or do anything like they're like little markers of my life. And that's about it. But it, it, and, and I'm after the next award, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, that's amazing. Have you ever had to, or do you have to give yourself a pep talk sometimes when maybe oh, a yeah. piece isn't going well, or a piece didn't turn oh, yeah. out the way you thought it was going to? How does oh, yeah. that look? It, it, that's yeah I have people ask me that a lot we're like oh you know Christine Swan throws out a piece or or something doesn't come together oh absolutely I have Mondays like anybody else I have pieces that go sideways or I make decisions that I just can't back off from and it's better to start all over again so I think a lot of people and in magazines and in certain um like videos online everything looks so effortless right you see this video and they're painting the head and everything looks beautiful and there's beautiful music playing and and you don't see the swearing behind the scenes <laughs> you don't see the studies that were done ahead of time it makes it look so easy and it's actually an illusion a lot of artists struggle and i mean a lot of even professional illustrators and, and portrait painters that i know um it could be a struggle all the way i know some art living masters who are just brilliant painters um and that i've known for 30 years and they still will send me a painting of Christine what's wrong with this like and it's amazing that we have that kind of dialogue still after they've been painting for so long and I've been painting for so long we're always trying to make it better and sometimes we struggle on how to do that so we need you know fresh eyes or whatever so yeah oh yeah it's it's always it, it is work even though it's my life it is work but it's fun work so <laughs> well Rachel we are running out of, of time it was such a great interview but Christine I'm a Pittsburgh a Pittsburgher back in Pittsburgh I was in Dallas for two years now I'm back in Pittsburgh awesome. again so awesome. I started my whole show in Pittsburgh so I just had to bring that up uh, Rachel so Rachel I guess finishing up last question you have for Christine to find information yeah. I have yeah. two quick questions for you yeah, yeah. and I just want you to tell our listeners what empowers you every day to keep going to keep doing this to keep creating yeah, it's the story. There's stories behind people and there's stories in people's faces. Like I can see it sometimes even just in being in the grocery store and I see someone's face and you can just get almost this aura, this feeling off of them. And then when I do have commissions or something and I find out about a story or I find out one little kid's feisty versus someone else who's shy, there's something there. You know, there's something about them that I just want to translate onto paper and capture. And so it seems like I always am full of ideas and I probably have too many ideas that I'll more than I'll ever paint in, in my entire life. But it's that idea of going after that narrative, that story about someone that just, okay, today I'm, I'm gonna figure out little Johnny today. I'm gonna get in there and I'm gonna represent him the way he is. And so, yeah, that, that keeps me getting up every morning and happy to go to work. <laughs> I love that so much. Okay, so where can people find you and find your work? Tell, yeah, tell, tell us. Yeah, absolutely. So my website is swanportraits.com and my last name is Swan with two N's. So swanportraits.com. Um, I do have some upcoming workshops. Um, I have an online workshop in September 23rd and 24th online through Zoom. So I have had people tune in. I started doing it through COVID and people from all over the world will tune into my workshops and I can teach you how to paint the head, understand light, find the structure of the head. And I, and I definitely can help you with pastel as well. So especially if you're new to it. And you can find me on Instagram, Christine Swan. You can find me on Facebook. And um, actually for the next four days, I'm a faculty member of Pastel Live. So if you've heard of Pastel Lives, those of you out there that are familiar with um, Eric Rhodes and um, his interviews, podcasts, workshops and things they've been doing. So the next four days, I'll be part of Pastel Live and I'll be teaching a demonstration through that organization as well. So yeah, just hit up swanporch.com. You'll find me, you'll find the Kintsuki series on there and um, drop me a line, say hi, and let me know if you're in Greenville. I'd love to meet other artists. So. <laughs> That's so wonderful. Thank you so much for being here today. I love Thank this. Thank you. And I'll see you later. <laughs> I will see you later around the mill. <laughs> around the mill. Thank you for listening to Women CEO in Reflection. To reach out to one of our guests, their contact is in the description of the show. Do you want a total mindset transformation? Apply to Mindset Warrior, The Art of Intentional Thinking, my personal coaching boot camp at IamAMindsetWarrior.com and schedule your call with me today. Thank you.
Hi, and welcome to Women CEO and Reflection, a podcast dedicated to personal growth and mental health discussions with women CEOs across the globe. It's here where inspired women get candid about what drives them to succeed and the personal challenges they've encountered on their path to success. So if you're a woman on a mission, this is the podcast you don't want to miss. So sit back, relax, and let's get candid. Good evening and welcome to the Women CEO and Reflection Podcast. I am your guest host, Rachel Lavin, and I am the author of The Donut Diaries. Today, we have the amazing Debbie Bellinger. And Debbie is a solopreneur of Body by Definition. She has an extensive background in corporate wellness, which she's going to tell us all about tonight. And she has created a masterclass for Fit Pros and Fitness Club titled Fit Pros How to Break into Corporate Wellness. She has also created a wellness academy for Fit Pros to hear leading experts each week. And Debbie has 23 years of a wellness director for two hospitals in both South Carolina and North Carolina. She was the SVP of Healthy Living for the South Florida YMCA prior to the pandemic. Debbie is not only my mentor and a peer, but she's also a friend. So thank you so much for being here with me tonight. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you so much. So that was just a little snippet of Miss Debbie Bellinger. I want you to tell the listeners, let's start back when you were in corporate wellness. Let's just kind of talk about that a little bit. And then after you kind of explain that, I want you to tell us where you saw the fitness and wellness industry and where you see it going. Okay. (laughs) So um, my journey to corporate wellness started in fitness. And like many others, I you teach group X and then you're the fitness coordinator and the supervisor and the manager and the director and the general manager and all within the space of fitness, fitness club operations, right? So my career took a wonderful twist when as a Canadian girl, I was the first ever hired director of wellness for a hospital system in South Carolina. And my job was way more than the experience that I held held at the time. But I don't know. I just feel like I could. <laughs> and so in the that new role as director of wellness, up until then in my head, I was fitness. That first director of wellness role, my career shifted into wellness. So I saw myself as a fitness instructor, but as a health wellness professional. So you kind of I kind of morphed in that that first 12 years in South Carolina. And that was my first experience with corporate wellness programs. Actually, within the role that I was hired to do, I was responsible in partnership with Human Resources to create an employee wellness program for 7,000 employees. And my scope was about this big, but it grew to be so much larger over the years, right, of doing the work because I was being held accountable to improving the health of the employees. So it wasn't just join our gym. We had six aerobic studios and a full-on wellness center. So I needed to offer more than gym memberships. I actually needed to have wellness programs, health programs, biometrics and health screenings. So effectively, I could show the hospital leadership that we were improving the health of the employees. And that just kind of spilled over to the local community. Other employers in the county wanted what we had, this kind of thing. And then that repeated itself in North Carolina. And by then I had a lot of experience with creating and customizing corporate wellness programs and lots of success, which to me, that means we were able to show companies that hired us that we were saving them money by getting their employees healthier. So that was the corporate wellness piece of my world. 23 years of it, the last nine, very much entrenched in it, customizing, basically doing the whole development of a corporate wellness program, right? From a needs assessment, looking at health claims data, looking at an employee satisfaction score, how happy were employees at work, taking that data, and then in partnership with human resources of each company, deciding 
what health programs and wellness programs we should offer to be able to target the rising healthcare spend. So blood pressure, <clears throat> obesity, diabetes, those kinds of things. So programs were customized for every employer. And that was a really great chapter for me and very fun as a fitness professional to that point, because that's where I found my love of meeting people, individuals where they are on their fitness journey, and particularly learning to meet those who are not yet on a health journey. That changed me forever. So when you're working with employers and employees, a lot of employees will sit back and watch what it is that you're doing. Oh, there's a weight loss challenge. There's a walking program. And for employees that are not on a health journey yet, overweight, out of shape, tired, depressed, anything, just all these things, or maybe they've not had a good experience with a health and wellness program or a gym membership or feeling included or something, right? Even back from childhood days, this was an opportunity in these programs to see employees kind of sit back and watch. And then the momentum starts, right? And the excitement starts. And it's like, oh, well, Neil and Rachel are doing it. So I, I need to do this walking program too, because it's the fun thing to do, right? So that for me was corporate wellness within the scope of my career. And the payback was huge because we had so many individuals improve their lives. And yes, we saved the company's money, but it was more the individual stories that kept me motivated day over day. My knee doesn't hurt. My back doesn't hurt anymore. I can play with the, the grandkids. So that was that chapter. And I think looking forward from that lens, the only thing that I could see was that there would be more of that. And right before I left North Carolina to go to South Florida, we had already started before the pandemic, obviously, we had already started with virtual programming. Um, and that was great because what we learned was with Gaston County government or our own employees, we had the main hospital and 44 practices. Well, we wanted all practices that were scattered throughout the county to have equal opportunity to be in a walking program. So we, we started to create virtual offerings because we had such a small team, we could not be all over the county at the same time running the same program, but we could do a lot by Zoom, which is what we did. And we assigned leaders, wellness ambassadors at each primary care practice. So a lot of strategy, a lot of boots on ground, a lot of team building. And honestly, when I left that role, I knew we were onto something magical. And I imagined that that would be just a million times more as people could see outcomes, right? That was what's happened <laughs> and where we are is just a little different, but no. Well, let me interject. So I've had the pleasure of taking your eight week online course and I've been involved with your programs for over a year now and I've learned so much. So did you feel like you had something kind of when you had all that experience in both the Carolinas and Florida, that when you did have to pivot to being your own boss, that you had something in the bag already and you just put it out in the world? Or was it more calculated than that? Did you have to really create something from the beginning? No, it, it would be the first part. I knew I had something because be, growing up in the industry and still being a very active thought leader and presenter nationwide at multiple conventions, nobody's doing what we're doing. So the masterclass that we've done together, there are versions thereof, but they're, they're not leaning into the needs assessment and strategy and customization of programming for employers based on the needs of each and every employer. It's not a one size fits all approach. That's what I see out there in the industry. What we're doing is customization, which is very different. So I do see magic in what it is that we're doing. I can honestly say the masterclass just came out of here onto paper with no problem. Like it just dumped. And I knew I was on something because it was so easy to build. Like when you do that kind of build and you're like lesson over lesson, there's no gaps. I'm like, hmm, there's something here that we probably can 
share with others was my thought. Absolutely. And I agree with you hundred percent. I want to know when you started this and you started meeting all of us and kind of realizing how lost we kind of were in this new wellness space. I mean, how did you feel like knowing that you needed to be the one to step up and like get us all together and, and really start putting the message out there of all the things in wellness that were just untouched? It was, so the start of it, uh, I think I was so consumed, Rachel, at the start of year one, last January, going from being on payroll, being a director, having a team, having a marketing team, a legal team, all of that support to now it's Debbie and her brand and you do it all yourself. In all honesty, I think the first couple of months, I was so bogged down in my brain with the minutia of learning new things, like building a Facebook group, creating the lessons, getting onto Zoom, Zooming into Facebook Live, all these things that I have never had to do in my entire <laughs> career, creating PowerPoints. I had people that did them for me. I was just the brains. I didn't need to learn how to do a PowerPoint, put pictures in them. And so the magic didn't start for me in owning my leadership. In addition to leading a masterclass, I realized that about month three, after the first cohort, that I was a director. I was back in my director's shoes. I felt like I had a whole new team of coordinators by Zoom, all of you gals and a few gentlemen. And all of a sudden that was my team. And it was, it just became very fluid and fun for me because I felt like I was more in my skin in that lens. These are individuals who can be groomed like I've done all the team members I've had, and I've had amazing teams, amazing teams. We can all grow together. And so this transitioning from fitness professional to wellness professional, that's easy for me. I just had to get it right in my head and just leave, just do what I'm born to do, you know, but do it for me. That was the three month of, okay, own it, Debbie, just be the boss, do what you do, give them direction provide, you know, solutions, have conversations to help them get to their end results. So that's been the really fun part is me growing up as a solopreneur mm -hmm. and just owning it. Now, Debbie, that, so those times, what do you advice you give other solopreneurs when they feel like they're just treading water? Because that's how something like it started. <laughs> how, what do you, what advice do you give? <laughs> And that's, you know what, I, when you said that, Neil, you know what flew through my head? The little pond with the duck here, nice and smooth, and the little feet going crazy underneath the water. Yeah, that was me. Uh -huh. <laughs> so the advice is you have to discover what your own personal strengths are and your passion and where you truly think you can make a difference based on your skills, your experience, and the audience that you wish to serve. Just in your soul, you know, this is my audience. And if you haven't yet found it, let's explore. Let's try some things and discover. So I, I like to I like to ask a lot of questions to find individual strengths. And sometimes it's a very securitous route of getting there. You're gonna hear all the things that don't work to finally get to the point where now we're talking about something that really moves you. And this is what I'm finding with my fitpreneurs. All of them are wellness professionals to me. So just guiding them along to see all the, the skills in their toolbox. I call it their your toolbox. What do you already have in there that makes you more than a movement specialist? We're all more than sets and reps, obviously. But it's how we own it and how we build our companies with, with that piece of knowledge. Mm -hmm. I love that, you know, your story and I love that you are having success in what you're doing now, but let's go back a little bit and talk about when you were in a job that you didn't love so much and you chose, you chose to leave it and you were unemployed for six months. Like, how did that feel? And what did that do for your drive for what you're doing now? So I, that's, yes, I lost the big job in South Florida, June 1st of 220. 
with the pandemic. They let 1,200 of us go. So I found myself unemployed for the first time ever. And I've always had two jobs, if not three. So the big director role and a side hustle of fitness, master trainer, speaking, writing. I've always had two incomes. So I went from two incomes to zero for six months. That was a very hard journey going through the grieving process, the anger process, behavior change, learning, filing for unemployment. I'll just be honest, I had never done that. And it was so angst filled and so degrading for me, but I had worked my whole life. So we go through the process, right? But I think in that time, I really did discover how much I love my industry because I didn't step away from it. I didn't just kick back and sit on the couch for six months. I presented for lots of organizations. I did a session on trips, flips, and falls (laughs) post-pandemic. Because at that point, 300,000 fitness professionals had lost their jobs like me. And so I wasn't the only one going through resetting, figuring out what's next. The fitness industry was completely shut down. So I spoke a lot. I did webinars. I taught myself how to do PowerPoint. I was, I participated in webinars like crazy. So I used it for a self-study time. Then I did take a job, Rachel, with an insurance company. And within three months, I was director of health management and wellness with seven nurses under me and a wellness coordinator. I hated it. And when I looked back on my year, by March, I was already applying for new jobs. That's how fast I knew I didn't fit there. So that started me down another path of self-discovery. Can I go? Can I do this? Can I be a solopreneur? Can I quit a job? I'm going to make a plan first. So I'm a planner. So I didn't, you know, I did not jump. I started saving. I found two business coaches. I paid them to coach me. So I could figure out if I wanted to learn how to do Facebook and create community on Zoom and many more skills that I did not have, a newsletter and sales funnel and all of these things. So I took about eight months to go through that journey. And I set myself a goal and I applied to be a speaker at the Medical Fitness Association convention. And I've spoken for them many times. And I decided that if I got picked up as a speaker at the annual convention, I would go to Austin, I would present. And if I still had what I thought it was my magic as an educator, I would go back to my hotel room after my session and type out my resignation vote, which is what I did. I killed it on stage. I was totally in my my skin. Millions of questions, it felt like. And I knew that I was meant to stay in the industry. And it gave me the courage to write that note. And I had made a plan. So I had some savings. And then I took the month of December to very quickly ramp up building my corporate wellness masterclass, the first one, and got busy. And I gave myself in that plan one year to make money. I didn't put a dollar amount. I just decided if I could be a solopreneur and make money, I'd give myself a year. No, And I wouldn't put a number on it. And that's what I did. And I made money. And so I gave myself the opportunity to do year two. And that's, that's how I'm at this point, at a year and a half. So that's amazing. So you and I have known each other for almost two years and I have kind of watched this growth and watched your business grow and watched your your circle grow and I just wanted to know when you go to sleep every night how do you feel knowing how many women you're helping I am I am very happy in my world right now and the reason I am is because I'm exactly doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I, I I truly mean that. I'm educating, I'm creating, I'm innovating, I'm getting so many requests to speak that some topics I'm like, hmm, yeah, okay, I think I can speak on that. And I do the research, I create the PowerPoint and I receive the feedback. So there's huge growth. I don't stay on subjects that are easy for me, right? 
So I'm going to bed really content that I am having impact within messaging health and wellness and public health to fitness professionals to elevate the industry and the individuals in it. So that makes me happy. So I go to bed happy. That is amazing. Did you have a question, Neil? Oh, okay. Okay. So I love everything that you stand for. I think that you're bringing such a light to our industry that for so long, it was just repeat, regurgitate, repeat, regurgitate. And nobody was Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.